Hey baby, can we check some ID? If you're under 18, feel free to keep listening. But remember, baby pink gin should never be consumed by anybody under the legal drinking age. Remember to always drink wise. What are the real stories behind successful female-run businesses? Not the ones that started with huge social media accounts, high public profiles or tons of cash. The businesses that actually started from scratch. Sit down as we spill the G&T. and welcome to Spill the G&T podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Weigel, and I'm also the founder and director of Baby Pink Gin. Baby is Australia's premium pink gin that stays pink when mixed. Now, today I have the pleasure of sipping a VPG and t with the delightful Christina Gagnia, founder of online yoga and meditation sisterhood, The She Oak Collective. Christina's journey from human rights law in the Arab Springs to yoga teacher and somatic healer is amazing and we're so lucky to be able to learn from her about all things yoga, meditation and healing. So I hope you're ready to sit back, relax and get a little bit spiritual with us today. So without further ado, here's Christina. Welcome, Christina. Thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome to Spill the G&T podcast. Cheers. Christina, I'm very lucky to have you each week come in and teach us yoga here in the Commons and we've really gotten to know each other and I thought what better person to get on to Spill the G&T podcast because you are a businesswoman and you also have so many insights and teachable skills and knowledge to share about everything from healing to manifestation, meditation and yoga um, and everything above, beyond and in between. So tell us about yourself. So I am, as you might be able to tell from my outrageous accent, I'm American. Um, I've been over here in in, um, Australia for about eight or nine years now, but I... I came, I started moving like towards the east back in 2008. I moved to Egypt where I did my master's in international human rights law. Um, I was there during the Arab Spring and then uh, kept moving further east. I went to Saudi Arabia, then to Singapore um, where I became a full-time yoga teacher and um, then eventually to Thailand and then here. Um, But in that time period, I really um, got introduced into somatics as well and to movement therapy work and embodiment work. Um, And they became a big sort of influential thing in my, in my life, probably about six years ago. Um, And before that, like my, my yoga practice was this really sort of masculine, like all about the handstands and the arm balances and the fun sort of fancy things that you can do. Um, and then after I found somatics, I was like, whoa, like there's this whole range of experience in my body that I hadn't even like felt or understood was there. And so um, in in this like period, I, I really feel like I, I tuned into something deep and to my intuition and to um, really having a, f- a female body in, in a very sort of unique way. Um, and so it, it's influenced kind of how I do business. It's influenced how, um, 
I have made sort of the decisions that I've made in my life. And yeah, it, it sort of brought me to, to here in this moment now where I am today. Yeah. And so before we go any further, can you tell us a little bit about somatic yoga yeah. and all of that practice? Tell us a little bit about what that is, because I get those words confused all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, it's funny because I think everyone, even in the field of work that I'm in, which is a really emerging field at the moment, um, would have a different definition for what it is. So somatics and embodiment are, they, they really intersect. Like it's basically, I mean, one of the, the most basic definitions I think comes from somatic experiencing, which is a, a form of somatics. And it's basically saying that it's just the feelings that let you know you have a body. And we can take that to like broader like sort of a broader space that, you know, we're part of this organism of the earth and we're, we're part of a community of earth. And, and so embodiment is not only like how we feel and experience our own bodies, but also how we connect then to the bigger organism of the planet. Um, but I was, I was actually trying to ex explain what is embodiment like last night in a restaurant to someone <laughs> randomly, <laughs> <laughs> which was fun, you know? Um, but like the easiest way for me to describe it is that we have we we as a culture kind of couch consciousness or awareness in the brain and that it's really the brain that's conducting the entire body but at a cellular level our cells are like constantly dividing and they're doing things that are happening and the brain's not thinking about it like if we had to tell ourselves to divide, that would be a lot of work for our brains. We wouldn't be able to have these sort of higher functions. So the capacity, though, or the consciousness of cells has them divide. So the cells have their own consciousness, they have their own awareness. And embodiment is sort of how do we experience that consciousness? Because they're still part of us, even though they're, they're a microcosm. Mm. They're still part of us. And so we're looking at embodiment, and the, specifically the brand of embodiment that I do. Um, we're looking at how do we bring that into the conversation of what it means to be human, to, to amplify that experience and include it in how I show up and move through the world. And so for me, it's been a really big amplifier as well of intuition and listening to what I would call the liminal space or um, just, you know, working with... Um, yeah, just uh, more like guides, ancestors, like listening to to bigger supports in the world. So it really just gets you to be in touch with more than just the immediate bodily movements that you would traditionally recognize in yoga. It's really like getting much deeper into both your body and also the outside awareness. Is that right? Yeah, and and I think one of the beautiful things about modern yoga is that it does teach us to to breathe, um, and it teaches people to be very embodied in their muscles. It's it's a place where we can really start to feel ourselves. Mm. Um, but somatics and embodiment work brings us into more, for me at least, more subtle sensations. Um, so some of the things that I think, and I mean, who knows, right? Because at the end of the day, there's so many branches of, of what is yoga and our understanding of the subtle body. Um, but for me, it has been a pathway into feeling the more subtle energies that yoga was originally trying to bring people into relationship to. Mm. 
Yeah, no, that's so interesting. And I've always said that I love your classes because we always learn something new. And also you explain things on more of a scientific and tangible level um, for, you know, (laughs) yoga for dummies like me um, to actually be able to understand and I guess appreciate on, as I say, yeah, more of a tangible level. So how long have you... So you said six years you've really gotten into this kind of yoga and how long have you been teaching yoga and meditation? So I did my first teacher training in 2011. So right after the Arab Spring, I remember actually when I was there and for those of you who are too young to remember what that is, there was all these uprisings in, <laughs> in the Middle East <laughs> yes. um, back back in those days. And um, and I was there for it. It was a, it was a pivotal moment in my own life Wow! Um, to really see like, you know, because I was very, at the time I was studying human rights law, to see that and then to really experience firsthand like some really difficult things. And when I started to really listen to myself, which I felt like that was a point for me when I started to listen, I knew that movement would somehow be a part of my healing process. Mm. And so when I went back to America for a few months, I was like, okay, where have I felt the most supported? And I was like, well, when I do yoga. And so that kind of led me to doing my first yoga teacher training down in Costa Rica. And before that, I've been doing it for a few years. Um, And, it was, I, I, as soon as I got back, I, I kind of brought with me a lot of those patterns of who I was into my yoga practice. So I was pushing really hard and it was like the hustle culture and the yoga practice. Yes. <laughs> and so um, I was like, well, I haven't done yoga if I haven't done two hours a day and I didn't do all the core work and am I pressing up into my handstand and all of those ki- kinds of things that could show me I'd been achieving something in my yeah. yoga practice. Um, and so that lasted um, for a little bit until I met my teacher, um, Tara, when she came here to Melbourne. And I um, remember actually going into her class. I was laughing. I'm laughing about this internally because I was telling someone about this yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I was like, I went to her class because I, she used to teach the style called Anusara, which is a very alignment based yoga. And when I went to her class, I remember thinking, oh my God, she's not giving me any alignment cues like what the heck like how am I going to be a better teacher if I don't know more about alignment and all of these sort of questions and frustrations were building up and I remember she took one look at me and she was like she started naming this thing called propping which is where we can like force ourselves or force or push um, without a sense of connection into life and she was teaching something called yielding. And I just remember like somewhere halfway through the session, somehow I just kind of gave up on it and I dropped into being present. And that night for the first time, I think in my entire life, I slept for eight hours. Wow. (laughs) Like didn't even wake up until my alarm went off. And I was like, what is this voodoo? (laughs) You just allowed yourself to. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and um, there's, I mean, from a like, biological perspective it's a lot of like how the cells have relationship to gravity and there's a sense of um, more boundary and solidness um, which you know if you go through prolonged periods of stress and dissociation kind of takes the body out of that relationship so um, 
connecting to that was like magic. Mm. And afterwards I was like, okay, I'm doing your 300 hour. I'm doing your advanced training. So I went to the advanced training, like maybe a few months later and which was in Bali back in the day when we could go to Bali. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I, it was hilarious because actually I remember talking to one of my friends before going and I, and I remember saying to her chanting, I'm not going to do any chanting like that's for weirdos. (laughs) And, um, I, uh, I like, I don't, I mean, you know this about me now, but like now I teach chanting and it's like such a big part of my like personal practice because of everything I went through there. I was like, whoa, I really felt the experience of yoga in my body. And I had a point for saying this is true. Um, it, it was like that training changed everything for me. Yeah. And, and and I love how you always ask for permission whenever we do <laughs> chanting. You're like, I know it's weird, but do you mind if we do it? And then <laughs> it's just like so nice when you kind of give in to almost the embarrassment, like even that simple step into it before you even start the chanting, just allowing yourself to be like yeah. more free to just do it. Yeah. That's just a nice release to just do whatever you want. So I love how you do that. And... So you recently launched, actually, sorry, Steph, I'm just going to move, <laughs> I'm just going to move this a tiny oh, bit closer. Um, okay. So you recently launched your online yoga and meditation platform, the Shio Collective. Um, and so many people have teachable skills, but don't turn this into their own business. What inspired you to take that leap into business from teaching? And how did you go about it? Take us on that journey. So... Yoga is an industry where you technically work for yourself. So you're an independent contractor as a yoga teacher and you can just teach classes. Um, But for me, I, I mean, this is where the listening thing and the intuition thing come in. So it used to really irk my ex-partner because I always wanted to like follow my intuition for my business decisions. Um, so like launching programs, I would really like feel it and I would continue to feel in my heart. Like this is a yes, you have to do this. You Mm -hmm. have to do this. Um, and so actually like when I started Shiog, it was the same kind of thing. I, I was, I wanted to start a space where sensitive women could gather to deepen their skills of their own sensitivity. Um, I think sometimes because often people who are neurodivergent are more sensitive, um, than what does that mean? So neurodivergent means that you have a different way of thinking about the world or understanding the world. So, um, for example, people who have ADHD or autism or who um, are highly sensitive um, are all examples of what it means to be neurodivergent. And um, a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs have ADHD. And uh, it's it's actually a really um, I think it's a really in, interesting skill set. Like there's such a strength and an opportunity in it. But oftentimes because, you know, I got told when I was younger, oh, you're too sensitive or mm-hmm. your feelings are too big or it, it, it concerns people sometimes even, even now because I'm so emotive. Um, 
I wanted to create a space where women could actually understand how this could be a strength for them. Yeah. And I think you can find that in the, again, like in this, this more liminal space, like in these more spiritual spaces, because as someone who's sensitive, you, you can tune into those things a lot more. Um, and so for me, like creating Shiok was about giving a space to women um, to not be told that they're weird or too sensitive or they feel too much. Or I wanted to create a space where they could feel themselves, they could feel connected, and they could be in sisterhood. Yeah. And I love that. And that's where, you know, Shiok and Baby align so much. You know, in the same vein, one of Baby's key values is the importance of leaning into your femininity. And I always talk about embracing your femininity rather than feeling the need to be masculine, to succeed in business. And yeah, Shiok Collective and yourself definitely believes in the importance of sensitivity and uniqueness. And so how can women lean into this sensitivity when they are starting a business? I know myself, um, you know, even just in my PR career, but also launching baby, you often do feel the need to be more masculine and not be so sensitive. So what's the importance of actually feeling those things in order to achieve more in the long run? I love this question um, because I was actually um, talking about this in grad school recently that our, the relational skills have always been looked at as soft skills and women um, typically, and not obviously uh, uh, I use that as, you know, a, a more broad spectrum yeah. um, thing perspective, but that women tend to have the relational skills more. And these are some, these are things that are more valued now after the pandemic and after people have seen um, and experienced this sort of uh, strain yeah. of working. We're all a bit sensitive yeah. <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, and, and so those soft skills are more valued, which I think is wonderful because that is such an opportunity for women and sensitive women in general. Um, I also think that, I mean, I understand it's not, it's not going to work for everyone, but I think that intuition can be a really important space when you are an entrepreneur because when you also can listen to that and create content from that listening place and have that excitement kind of supporting behind what you're offering and how you're speaking about your stuff, I think that um, it's just a really powerful tool. Yeah. And I do think like some some women and some people who are different have that as a skill set. And whether that's like you're just picking up on a lot of information that your brain is somehow registering and you're getting, you know, an intuitive hit from that or you're just feeling it or you're just sort of a little bit, you know, N not to sound crazy, but, you know, psychic or something. I don't know. <laughs> like, who knows? You know, however we see it, I, it doesn't really matter. But I do think that sensitive women um, can listen in that way. And those things shouldn't always be overlooked. And there are, like, whole business disciplines now of, of women that, 
you know, base their actions and their work off of this sort of intuition space. So I think, though, generally, as an entrepreneur, my my perspective is that you have to find the way that you want to work in the world. And that will work for people like you or Mm. who resonate with your message or the way that you operate. And I think that is a, um, that's one of the amazing opportunities with how global the world is now. Like, especially after every, everything is on zoom these days, everything is on the internet. So that means you're more likely to find people that think or see the world the way that you do. And, one thing that I've heard, and, and again, like this, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if this is true for everyone, but I've definitely found it as true for me that, you know, um, people want to, they want, like, they, they look at your brand or they look at you um, and they feel a relationship to you. And that is what helps to bring people into your, your world, your organization or what you're, what you're doing. So, I also think um, being different can be like a really good superpower these days because there's a lot of people out there who are different and normal and the normal way of doing things. It's just like so 2019. Agree. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, a lot of the idea behind this podcast is really just about lifting the walls up and being really honest and business owners being honest with other entrepreneurs and other women who want to get started because often the people who think they're different or weird or not normal actually aren't like you know there's so many people secretly feeling the same thing or wondering the same question so it's so nice to I agree like in in our brand we're very honest and I think that people can relate to that a lot more than um yeah being more guarded so is Share Collective just online? In that, was that a COVID-based decision or are you doing, you know, in-person courses? Tell us a little bit about what Share Collective actually is and the offering other than creating a sisterhood if you're a sensitive person who wants to release some feelings. What, what are the tangible things that you can do in Share Collective? Um, well, we have uh, full moon and new moon workshops every month. Um, we have astrologers who come on we have movement classes we have chanting classes we have an incredible team of teachers from across the world which felt really important um and so these are all live online classes that you can tune into once you're a member once you're a member of share collective Yes. So there's live classes. And then we also have um, a video library of over 200 videos, which I just found that out from my business partner the other day. Wow. Um, Yeah. So we also have a library of like 200 videos um, that are open to be watched. And um, again, they're all cover things from a somatic therapy perspective, um, an embodied movement perspective, or some sort of like mystery slash uh, ritual type of work as well. Yeah, cool. 
Um, and I'm always fascinated when you talk about the power of feminine energy. So we've spoken a little bit about, you know, embracing your sensitivity, um, but Share It Collective is really a place for sisterhood and you only have female members and only female teachers. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so that's very much the baby vibe as well, the whole sisterhood and the importance of being surrounded by a supportive network of women, which is a lot about what baby stands for and this podcast as well. So can you tell our listeners about why you decided to go down this path of Shia, this path of Shia Collective and why it was so important to keep it to only females? Yeah, I like when I was conceiving it, I um I feel like women in particular are going to lead a lot of the future like I think because um the there's maternal energy I mean obviously that can exist in men as well but I think the maternal energy means that we're more fierce um that we are protective of humankind that we're protective of the earth to some extent mm. and we understand for example cycles of nature in our body because we cycle with nature every month in our body um specifically with the moon um and so to me I wanted to do something that would create change because I think when people listen more also you know we become more fierce warriors in the path of things like climate change and um you know protecting uh vulnerable groups of people and i think you know again touching into sensitivity and touching into um the that sort of expression of self allows us or motivates us more to become better allies with the world now i also think that it's a lonely path to do that on your own mhm <laughs> and having connections to other people and having people witness you like I know that for me even because of how I grew up my tendency is when I go through something difficult I want to shut down like I want to push people away but like so much of the research in in um psychology and um neuroscience shows that connecting is actually one of the things that can really help to heal and move things to let yourself be seen by a compassionate loving other mm. And so when people sign up to Shiok we give them like a list of not rules but community agreements where we talk about how to hold space for each other because that's a really important part of it because it's in the witnessing of other people I think that we can help them heal it's not that we're we need to tell them what to do with their lives or give them advice but rather allow that sort of inner wisdom to emerge by holding space for them. Yeah, and definitely when you see other people being vulnerable, you feel a lot safer to be vulnerable as well yeah. and then it just creates this really really safe space and I and I love that. 
Now, I'm just going to switch gears a little bit. Um, I could talk to you for hours and just pick your brain about so many things, but something that I truly believe in and I speak about all the time is the power of manifestation. And I know we do it a little bit in our yoga and meditation practices here at the Commons, but I would just love to get your insight into, you know, just simply the importance of manifestation, why you think... Um, it works and some of the common mistakes that people might make when doing it. You know, I have my opinions on these things, but I would love to hear your insights into Mm. your thoughts on manifestation. Yeah. um, Well, so one thing like from, from many streams of spiritual traditions um, is that they oftentimes like even in, um, Judaism and Christianity, like they talk about at the very beginning of these books that the word is God. And it's through this this sort of speaking things into reality that reality is created. And in in tantric approach, which is a whole other thing. (laughs) A whole other thing, but it it is the, the sort of spiritual basis of one of the spiritual streams that influenced yoga. Um, and, and it's not often what's currently practiced today. What I, I look at it from a more academic perspective. But it is believed um, in these tantric streams that the word Om was the mantra that called the universe into existence. It was actually the feminine energy that created um, reality and specifically a goddess called Saraswati. And Saraswati... Um, which I'm, I'm sort of pronouncing it in a more English English way, but <laughs> That's okay. um, but Saraswati, she she's the holder of mantra, and in tantra, like the the letters of the alphabet are called the the little the the matrikas, which means mothers, and so the the letters become the mothers of reality, and it's really through um, like these seed sounds, uh, which are are mantras um, of different things, feelings. Um, I don't know, like, for example, auspiciousness or um, happiness or even depression. Like, there, there's seed sounds for all of those things. And when you chant them, you you actually, like, bring them into your field and you can start to work with, with um, these sounds or vibrations. And the these experiences, like, they, they teach me or they have taught me that, that we are in some ways co-creating reality with reality. Um, so manifesting is this more, for me at least, a conscious way of interacting with that process of creating reality. Mm. Um, and and that's not to say that, that there aren't other realities that are also coexisting at the same time. Um, but I think that through the power of, you know, how we set intentions um, and how we do the work because oftentimes when you set a powerful intention, if there's stuff standing in the way, that stuff will really show itself. (laughs) Yeah. And it's still, you know, a lot of people think, I think uh, manifestation is just, you know, I'm going to write it down and it's going to happen. But of course you need to action as well. Oh yeah. 100%. 100%. So, you know, I think when you commit to a path, you commit to a thing, there will be, all of the things that stand in your way can show up and it tests to some extent, I think the resolve of, is this the right thing for me or not? Um, And so, you know, when we set up the, 
the energy the energy field of manifestation um stepping into it is a lot about how we are also again like you were saying taking action like how am I taking little steps every day? And that was actually something. So when I lived in, in Saudi Arabia and I decided I wanted to be a yoga teacher full time, um, this was something I did every single day when I lived there. I used to do a gratitude journal, get into this this space of feeling grateful, which in in Tantra or in yoga would be this like Lakshmi energy. Mm-hmm. Um and feeling she she's the goddess of auspiciousness for those of you who are unfamiliar with her, um, and so feeling so feeling that, and then writing down every single day like a tiny step I was going to take towards that goal, and so one day it would be like, how do I write a yoga resume, and how do I make my resume sound like better than it <laughs> than my experience actually was, um, uh, and so you know, it was that one day and then it was emailing places and making contacts with people. And I, I honestly like had no idea how it was going to happen, but I, I showed up in Singapore without an employment pass. Um, and, and really like not much experience and got a job straight away with an employment pass living full time in, in Singapore. Mm. And so I kind of felt that it was, you know, it was that manifestation energy. Um, and so I think it, it really showed me that it's possible to do that. Um, and again, it's not a passive experience, that it is this sort of active, active love. Um, and I think one thing that can go wrong sometimes is when we do it from a place of fear rather than love. If that has that fear energy behind it, sometimes it's, it's harder for it to, to show up. Um, and because there's a gripping in that, right? Mm. Um, like kind of you're just holding yourself back subconsciously a little bit and there can't be even like a crumb of that that's yeah. going to work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I think, um, you know, re- releasing and allowing and just sort of trusting the universe to be your collaborator is, a, for me at least, it's been a part of the process. Yeah. And I, I mean, my mum, I'm very lucky. She's always been um, a teacher of manifestation. Even if she didn't say that, she has been making us do vision boards since I was like, you know, four or five of magazine cuttings and still we do them yearly. And I... I've always been like, why am I, why are my dreams always coming true? Like, why, how are these things all (laughs) happening? And I guess now that I've gotten a little bit older and I'm starting to really practice meditation and yoga and kind of tuning into things, I'm kind of understanding that it is just being more aware and being in the moment and tuning into things because half the time manifestation works because you know, that goal is front of mind. So when an opportunity presents itself, you can actually see it and act on it Mm. rather than being unaware and just letting opportunities that you don't even notice pass you by. And I think that is a big part of it. So I'd really love to hear from you about why you think meditation is so important, especially when you're starting your own business or you're in, you know, a very crazy job or you want to be an entrepreneur I'm um, a big believer in you know anti-hustle culture and the importance of taking time out for yourself Um, even if that does look like just going for a walk or yeah even better meditating even once a week Um, 
so that you don't burn out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to hear from you like some tips on how people might even just start meditating. Yeah, so um, I'll answer the, the first part of your question Yes, sorry. First, <laughs> which I think meditation works because it helps us to do this thing called down-regulating, which means that our nervous system calms down. Now, we have this thing in yoga and the the sort of new age space we talk about like limiting beliefs they exist as aspects or parts of the nervous system that's activated so the reason meditation works is because when we down regulate we're actually in a clear space like a clarity in our nervous system we're having you know from a a parts therapy perspective, we call it the self energy, like our essence, our true self is there, not colored or distorted by the limiting beliefs. So when we meditate, it's bringing us into that self energy. It's bringing us into that down-regulated place so that we can make choices instead of from fear, like from clarity. And Again, there's nothing wrong with making like choices from fear. It does work for some people, um, but I can say for myself, it doesn't. It's not how I like to run my business, and it's not how I like to work or operate. Um, so, then the second part of the question um, is that meditation is a very individual thing, and it doesn't have to look like sitting still for hours. It could be that you go and put your feet in the grass and notice the sensations of the grass on your skin. How does the sun feel? What does pleasure feel like in that moment? Or maybe even like, I love eating meditations. Yeah, yeah. I have recently (laughs) discovered eating meditation and even just walking meditation and really just, yeah, just tuning into what's happening. Yeah, and so it's... because, you know, one, one thing that when we're activated, we actually have less sensation in our bodies. And so we need to be downregulated to feel and to experience more through our senses. So, you know, there's a difference between, you know, for example, scanning the horizon for threats and looking like where things are, like how do I get to this next spot and where's my car parked and where, where's the thing on the grocery shelf and and then also then just like taking in the colors, mm. noticing, you know, the way that the grass is swaying in the wind or r- receiving, like receiving into our, our vision, the, the sights of, of a, a beautiful park. And, you know, there's a difference, I think, between um, like feeling as a way of doing, like we, I just have to touch this so I know what it feels like. And yeah, like I've got to put on my, my lotion and I'm going to do that real fast. And I have to do that so I can go to the next thing versus like, oh wow, like the lotion's really cold and Mm. oh, it smells like lavender. And oh, okay. Like here, when I touch with this pressure, that feels this way. And, and when I touch with this pressure, it feels like this. And, and that sort of curiosity about the, the present moment that can really help to down-regulate our nervous system. So again, we're coming into that 
listening space, that, that like authentic self space. Yes. And it all feeds into, yeah, gratitude as well, which will then be able to harness the power of manifestation. It all just like comes in this full circle, which I've only recently discovered probably the past few years, which is really nice. Um, but I'm certainly a person that is very stressed, anxious, high energy. So I really have to, you know, for me, it's about actually putting a time in my calendar and blocking out time in my calendar to meditate. Yeah. And then once I, I really have to force myself to stop, but then once I do stop and just turn, it's like switching off my brain and it's just so lovely because yeah. as, you know, someone who owns a business and does lots and lots of things, um, you know, we have so many things going through our brain at once and it's just so nice to switch that off even for 10 or 15 minutes. And yeah. then when you turn it back on, it's almost like hitting a reset button on your brain and you feel like going again. You know, it's like going for a um, a big run mm. and then just stopping for a few hours and then you can go again. You know, you can't just keep running <laughs> because you will burn out and it will not be good so yeah we're definitely anti-hustle culture here and that really feeds into it as well mm. and you know I think I think it's um a really interesting point as well because to some extent I think when we're we're working or answering emails we're in that sort of more analytical headspace there is a level of activation that's happening um which isn't a, always a bad thing right but the idea, it's not an ideas place. It's an actioning place. Yes. And I think um, entrepreneurs, in my experience, have to be looking at the big picture. They have to be listening to the big picture. Um, and, and that happens, again, like when we're in that, self, in that self energy. And also, from a physiological perspective, um, in order to digest food, or to take anything in or to listen, you actually have to be in a downregulated state. Mm. Um, that's where we connect to other people and they call it like a social regulated state or ventral vagal state, um, which are all just funny words for saying you're chill AF. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, they think meditation is so scary and how do I even start? Because they imagine you like floating with your legs crossed, closed <laughs> eyes, going, um, and like in yeah. this crazy, you know, space in your mind. But it, for me, it can be as simple as, yeah, almost like leaning to gratitude at first, just eating slowly even and mm. just appreciating what things taste like and really taking it in like even that to me I don't know I'm not a professional but to me that is even just a little bit of meditation and just just actually recognizing what's going on and just being able to switch off everything else and just appreciating and recognizing that as you said similarly with the grass or even even just walking and feeling the pressure of the footpath and how your body feels you know otherwise yeah. you just go on and on and then you go oh my god why why is my neck sore or why is my back sore? And it's because you've been ignoring it for potentially weeks or months. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think you make a really good point that it, it, I mean, for some people that works, like the the sitting still, the oming and, you know, and I, I love that for them. Um, and I can say 
why it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive with your passion, your interest, and your desire. Um, and finding those moments or those pathways into like how how do I feel calmer? How do I feel more grounded? How, like when we're in, like you were saying, in the gratitude space, we're taking things in. And that's how we know we're actually in a downregulated place. When we can take things in, we're downregulated. And we can't when we're not. It's like, have you ever felt kind of activated or stressed and someone tries to talk to you and you get, like for me, I, I, I know, <laughs> me like, I'm like, God, you're an idiot. And I mean, don't obviously tell other people I think this way, but <laughs> <laughs> just just you and your listeners. Yes. Um, but, and, and you know, they might be saying something to me that that's really important and intelligent. And I, I can't hear the message because I'm so I'm activated. Mm. And, it, and then, you know, this is why like pauses when you're fighting with partner are so useful because for me, at least it was going away and being like, okay, wait, okay. So I was activated. If I take the activation out of the picture and I'm more downregulated, like what were they actually saying to me? Totally. And I think we've all been there when you're having a very heated fight or discussion with anyone and it's just obviously not going to get anywhere <laughs> because you, neither of you can even receive what the other's yeah. trying to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I, and I say that because it's, it's just, that's like our physically, our bodies are not taking in food in that state because we don't, we're redirecting blood to the arms and the legs so we can run or fight. Um, and we can't like, again, take things in. So in getting into that state of down regulation is the place that we're taking things in. We're able to receive, um, we're able to calm, we're able to be grounded. We're able to feel connected to other people. Mm. Yeah. That's so interesting. Oh my gosh, I feel like we've only just touched the surface on everything that I could ask you and we will definitely get you back as a regular guest. I mean, I just want to ask you about healing and yoga. We haven't even touched on yoga <laughs> and negotiation and everything like that. So if anyone has any questions for Christina, please email the podcast, DM us, and we'll be sure to ask her next time we get her on in a few months' time. Um, but thank you so much for being here. I love talking to you and I'm very lucky to have you teach me yoga every week um so where can we find you on socials um my uh instagram name is christina gagne underscore embodied nomad um or you can find me on the she oak collective also on instagram um and i feel like that's really the places where i actually put stuff i'm uh i'm still a little bit of a dinosaur and i'm getting on TikTok this year. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think your Instagram is great and definitely if people need it, just even a little bit of um, encouragement to get into that, you know, yoga meditation space, definitely go to Christina's um, Instagram because she shares some really lovely insights in her videos and I definitely encourage you all to go to Share It Collective and check out some videos because it can be really, really useful just to have someone have your back and yeah a sisterhood around you so thank you so much thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you again soon thank you thanks for having me this episode of spill the gnt is brought to you by baby pink gin australia's award-winning premium pink gin we like to keep our baby girls hydrated so use the code spill 10 to get 10 percent off all orders at babypinkgin.com 
Find new episodes of the podcast every second Wednesday at midday. Make sure to hit the follow button or subscribe wherever you're listening. And last but not least, stay up to date by following at Spill the GNT Podcast on Instagram or visit at Baby Pink Gin on all social platforms. See you next time, baby. Baby Pink Gin does not condone the act of binge drinking or excessive alcohol consumption. Baby Pink Gin should never be consumed by anybody under the legal age of drinking. Remember to always drink wise and sip, don't scull. For more information on safe drinking practices, visit drinkwise.com.au.